So good morning, good morning everybody and welcome. Welcome to Essex Church and to this, our gathered community of Kensington Unitarians. Our four Advent candles are now lit and we are in the time of mid-winter. Yesterday was the winter solstice, the shortest day here in the Northern Hemisphere. And we're a few days away from Christmas, celebrating the birth of Jesus, who was to become a radical prophet in a far-flung corner of the Roman Empire. And tonight, tonight the Jewish community will be celebrating the start of Hanukkah, their eight-day festival that marks the rededication of their temple after its desecration by occupying forces thousands of years ago. In today's service, we're weaving all of these themes together. We're honouring the earth. We're looking at the need to stand against oppression. And we're using the symbols of this season to help us understand our own lives and the life of the world a bit more fully, a little more deeply. This winter season gives us chance to reflect, to slow down, so I invite you now to take a moment, take a conscious breath. And whatever the journey you have had to be here, know that we are fully here now. In this place made sacred by our being here together. And in this moment, let's remind ourselves that we are welcome here. However we are feeling, whatever life is bringing us, wherever we have come from and wherever we are going, let's bring all of ourselves to this community. And now let's utilise the power of love to soften hearts and change minds and to bring healing. Our chalice flame is also lit it's connecting us with Unitarian communities the world over. Let's remember our need in these darker days for togetherness, for times of celebration, for traditions old and new that help to make us who we are. So let's start by singing now. Um, on one of the little slips that you have in your order of service and if you would like a larger print then there's copies at the back of the room for you. Uh, this carol you will probably know well, uh, the holly and the ivy, we're, we're singing the pagan words to this and, and looking at other symbolism for this time of year, the holly and the ivy.
This reading is about Stallings, and it comes from Annie Dillard's marvelous book, The Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. At dusk every evening, an extended flock of starlings appears out of the northern sky and winds and winds towards the setting sun. It is the winter's day's major event. Out of the dimming sky, a speck appeared, and then another, and another. It was the starlings going to roost. They gathered in deep in the silence, flock sifting into flock, and strayed towards me, transparent and whirling, like smoke. They seemed to unravel as they flew, lengthening in curves, like a loosened skein. I didn't move. They flew directly over my head for half an hour. The flight extended like a fluttering banner in either direction as far as I could see. Each individual bird bobbed and knitted up and down in the flight at apparent random for no known reason except that's how starlings fly, yet all remained perfectly spaced. The flocks each tapered at either end from a rounded middle like an eye. Over my head I heard a sound of beaten air like a million shook rugs a muffled woof. Into the woods they sifted without shifting a twig, right through the crowns of the trees, intricate and rushing like wind. After half an hour, the last of the stragglers had vanished into the trees. I stood with difficulty, bashed by the unexpectedness of this beauty, and spread and my spread, lung, my spread lungs roared. My eyes pricked from the effort of trying to trace a feathered dot's passage through a weft of limbs. Could tiny birds be sifting through me right now? Birds winging through the gaps between my cells, touching nothing but quickening in my tissues, fleet. Thank you, Tristan. It's such a beautiful description, that, of starlings flying together in that way, heading towards their, their uh, roosts. Um, it, in this month here at Essex Church, our, our ministry th theme is scarcity and abundance. And the, the natural world provides so many examples of exuberant plenty, doesn't it? Including thousands of starlings miraculously flying together and never touching each other. We have some uh, pine cones on the table here connecting us with ancient pagan symbols of renewal and of the everlasting. As soon as I um, placed those pine cones in a warm room, they opened up and spilled their little seeds all over the tablecloth, and there were just so many of them. 
I, wa I wonder what um, examples of this, these kind of reminders of a mighty life force that you particularly appreciate. What natural sources of plenty um, come to your mind? Collecting blackberries in autumn, perhaps, when it's been a particularly good year for them, or the holly and the rowan berries this year just seem really spectacular to me. I invite you to take a sense of gratitude for nature's generosity to us into a quiet time of prayer now. So let's call that divine spirit of life and love to be with us now and to bless this time that we spend together. Let us give thanks for nature's generosity and for the exuberance of all the life forms we share our planet Earth home with. From little starlings to mighty whales, from smallest flowers to giant evergreen trees, there is so much that we have been given, so many miracles of life itself. Let us give thanks for our world. And as our year turns towards the shortest day and longest night, let us take time to turn inwards and consider the balances in our own lives, the ebb and the flow of all that exists the one great life of which we all are a small part. In our own minds and hearts, may we move beyond dualities and polarities and find that oneness great enough to contain all that is. Help us, Great Spirit, to loosen the cords of habits of thinking from time to time so that we might be refreshed in our perceptions, opened once more to new possibilities in life. Seeing this world with the eyes of a child. May we sing old songs as if for the first time. May we greet old companions as new and wondrous beings in whose presence we are both delighted and curious. Let's take nothing for granted, nothing that even something is the rising of the sun on winter solstice dawn can have us bow in awe and wonder and gratitude for this miracle that it is to be alive. In a few moments of silence now, let's each reflect for a short while, <coughs> sending our own thoughts, our prayers to those in need this day.
for silence, for companionship, for singing, for the turning of the year, for all this and more, let us give thanks. Amen. And this reading is from Henry David Thoreau's book, Walden, Life in the Woods, which is his famous description of choosing to live very simply and in solitude besides Walden Pond. In this short reading, Thoreau describes the effort involved in collecting water from the frozen lake, with ice now a foot thick and a foot of snow on top of the ice. Then to my morning work. First I take an axe and pail and go in search of water, if that be not a dream. After a cold and snowy night, it needed a divining rod to find it. Every winter the liquid and trembling surface of the pond, which was so sensitive to every breath, and reflected every light and shadow becomes solid to the depth of a foot or a foot and a half, so that it will support the heaviest teams, and perchance the snow covers it to an equal depth, and it is not to be distinguished from any level field. Like the marmots in the surrounding hills, Walden Pond closes its eyelids and becomes dormant for three months or more. Standing on the snow-covered plain, as if in a pasture amid the hills, I cut my way first through a foot of snow and then a foot of ice, and open a window under my feet, where, kneeling to drink, I look down into the quiet parlour of the fishes, pervaded by a softened light as through a window of ground glass, with its bright sanded floor, the same as in the summer. There, a perennial waveless serenity reigns, as in the amber twilight sky, corresponding to the cool and even temperament of the inhabitants. Heaven is under our feet, as well as over our heads. Heaven is under our feet as well as over our heads. Let's sing now um, a beautifully mournful midwinter carol, number 87 in this uh, green book, In the Bleak Midwinter.
In, in a few moments, um, John Newton is going to bring us a peace meditation that he has written. It's um, based upon the various aspects of the traditional nativity scene, all the characters that gather around the infant baby Jesus in the stable. His meditation takes each element of the nativity and relates it to the human psyche, the idea that each of us is made up of many elements, some of which we are more aware of than others. Our task, our task when we seek to be aware human beings, is to bring all these elements into conscious understanding and to take time to reflect on which aspects of ourselves are to the fore and which need some encouragement. So I invite you to ready yourself now for a meditative time as, as we listen to John's words. I will make a, sh a short pause <clears throat> after each um, element. So I'll allow you to meditate on the um, on this particular on the particular element. So the first element is the the angels. That was found at the top of the um, the, the paintings paintings of the nativity. The angels are found at the top. The angels as representing the higher self, conveying a message of peace and goodwill to all humanity. to Mary and Joseph as representing benign parenthood, the nurturing superego. They are the ideal parents, letting Jesus grow in his own way and at his own pace. The wise kings as representing intellect, bowing before the child, respecting the wisdom of the child, their long journey in quest of the baby Jesus, a symbol of the long process of discovering the inner child. The shepherds as representing the emotions. Initially they experienced fear when the angels appeared to them, but then they were joyful having seen the infant Jesus. They too are at the service of the inner child. The animals as representing the instincts, living harmoniously with the other aspects of the psyche, particularly the inner child. They too have a place in the psychic order. Baby Jesus himself 
representing the inner child, the part of the psyche that the other parts are in service to, a symbol of the unabused child, the pure innocence of inner childhood, and the part we need to return to in order to achieve psychic health. So we invite you now to take all those elements of the traditional nativity scene which you'll find on the sheet you were given as you came in. These aspects of ourselves that seek integration. Let's take all of those into a time of shared stillness and silence together. Perhaps asking ourselves what aspect of the nativity are we most drawn to at this time? And our silence will end, as always, with a chime from our bell.
thank you for finding a traditional Jewish tune um, uh, because I wanted to speak just briefly about the Jewish festival that, that starts tonight at sunset and lasts for the next eight days. The word Hanukkah uh, means rededication and it reminds the Jewish people of the traditional story of long time ago when Greek soldiers invaded the city of Jerusalem and made the people follow their laws and their ways of living. And the Greek king, Antiochus, uh, banned the Jews from worshipping their God. He put a big statue of himself in their sacred temple and he ordered them to bow down before it. But the Jews refused to obey because of the Ten Commandments forbidding them to worship anyone or anything other than their God. And then a small group of Jewish fighters called the Maccabees fought back against the king's army. They fought for three years and eventually won that war, recaptured Jerusalem from the Greeks. And when the, the Jews went back to their temple, they saw that it had been nearly destroyed. They cleaned and repaired it, and when they were finished, they rededicated it to God. And they did this by lighting the sacred lamp using the sacred oil, a symbol of God's presence. But they only had one small jar of the sacred oil, only enough for one day, and it was going to take at least eight days till fresh supplies could arrive. But miraculously, that lamp stayed alight for those eight days until the new supplies arrived. And that is why Jewish people to this day light a candle every day of Hanukkah and why Hanukkah is known as a festival of light. Like so many stories, both ancient and modern, it tells of the bravery of those who stand up against tyranny, of the bravery of those who persist in living their own lives, and the bravery of those who trust even when the odds are stacked against them. The story of Hanukkah. And why don't we stay seated now to sing our next hymn. It's on this uh, green sheet. It's beautifully meditative, dark of winter.
Now, some of you will know that we Kensington Unitarians are hosts and founder members of the West London Green Spirit Group. And yesterday, we held a winter solstice gathering here, a lovely, gentle afternoon of honouring the earth and the sun. We spoke about what we um, appreciated most about our planet Earth home. And I wonder what you would choose to appreciate most. Someone in our group uh, spoke of the sun, without which there would be no life here on Earth. The sun that is always there for us, even when we can't see it, even when it's dark or cloudy. It's a very human thing to do, isn't it, to take things for granted. We don't question the reality that the earth here on earth, the air rather here on earth is just right for us to breathe until we realize we've poisoned it. We don't question the temperature that has allowed life to flourish here on earth for some 3.5 billion years until it becomes too hot or too cold for comfort. Most of us rarely think about the food that we need in order to live or the water that we rely upon. As our northern lands move into wintertime, we have the opportunity for reflection, a chance to slow down and notice things, to pay a bit more attention perhaps than we usually do. And when we slow down, we might realize what a miracle life itself is. For surely, the chance encounter of sperm and egg at just the right time and in the right circumstances to create the unique individual that each of us is, well, that in itself is surely a remarkable occurrence, a true miracle. And miracles do not have to be supernatural. The natural world is surely miraculous enough to have us all falling on our knees in amazement. Irish spiritual writer and um, philosopher John O'Donoghue wrote, may you experience each day as a sacred gift woven around the heart of wonder. Ah, for the ability to experience life in that perspective. May I remember his words the next time I'm tutting because of signal failure on the circle line, or because Tesco's have run out of my favorite satsumas, or because a parcel I've been waiting for has been delivered to the church down the road, and now I've got to knock on the door and then carry a heavy box back. All irritations I've experienced this week. I wonder what's been irritating you. I need to be reminded periodically to take life to a higher level, to lift myself up from these kinds of petty concerns, trying though they may be. I was reading something written by philosopher Sam Keane this week, and he'd coined a new word of wonderosity, combining wonder and curiosity, and suggesting that they are a mighty combination of perspectives to take on life. Fed up, irritated, confused, miserable, afraid even. Let's honour those feelings first of all. Do what we need to do in order to soothe ourselves and regain that sense of equilibrium, of balance. But then let's add the miracle ingredient of wonderosity and be amazed at what is going on all around us and within us. 
And one aspect of life here on Earth is the sheer exuberant generosity of it all. The natural world makes so much of everything, doesn't it, if it's given half a chance? And it's enabled us humans to reproduce at a remarkable rate. Living as we now do on a crowded planet, we have environmental responsibilities to take care of the Earth itself, to share its resources more fairly, and to appreciate that we, what we have more fully, more consciously. Now here in the North, there's always been a need, hasn't there, to gather stores to get people through the winter months. Humans needed to be adept at gathering food when there was plenty and then storing it effectively to last until new foods emerged. I always like to think of who was the first person to come up with the skills of, say, drying food, <coughs> freezing food, pickling food, preserving, drying, ancient and modern ways to keep food edible. And any of us who have picked those blackberries or those raspberries and made them into jam, we know the pleasure of such activities. Allotment growers tell me of canny ways they have developed to keep root vegetables like carrots fresh through the winter, depending on the nature of your soil, be it loam or sand or clay. And we can use all of this, can't we, as a metaphor for our own lives. We need to understand our own soil, the soil of ourselves and the soil of the societies in which we live. We too need to gather winter stores if we are to safely emerge from tough times. We need those inner resources. We need to understand ourselves better because this will help us understand what we need. Probably most of us will benefit from developing our own inner sources of light and reassurance to help us through the dark times that are part of any life. And we can seek the support of others, for surely we are social creatures, even the most unsociable of us, benefit from connections with others. And we as a species have survived through our willingness to support one another, and especially those in need in our social grouping. We're meant to be helpful and to seek help in our turn. And we can remind ourselves again and again that we are part of something greater. And what that is may be different for each of us, but it's true. We do not exist in isolation. To return to that sense of oneness of all that is can be a great comfort when times are hard. So let's use our winter stores, developing our inner resources, reaching out to assist others and being assisted in our turn, and remembering that we are part of the great oneness of life itself. And let's each find something in our natural world for which we are grateful this day. For gratitude can lift our spirits on the coldest of days. Amen. I think we should now sing our closing carol, which is jolly and is Deck the Hall with Boughs of Holly. It's number 278 in the Green Book.
Tan. So in the days that lie ahead, may you have what you truly need, and may all beings have what they need to sustain our lives, to connect us with others and with our wider world, and to embrace the dark times as well as the light within ourselves and in our beautiful and wounded world. May the spirit of life and love enfold each of you, and may you know that you are truly appreciated, just as you are. Amen. Go well, and blessed be. Thank mm-hmm. you.